0: When we step back and think about our lives as a whole, how much life satisfaction do we feel? And then how much positive mood do we experience on an everyday basis?
1: Welcome to the Productivity's Podcast. It's me once again, Mike Vardy, joining you for another conversation about time management, productivity, and all things in between. We're having a productive conversation today with Ashley Willans, who's also a fellow Canadian. I always love talking to my fellow fellow Canucks. Uh, Ashley is an assistant professor at Harvard Business School and a leading scholar in the time and happiness research field. And she has written about her research in numerous outlets, including the New York Times, the Washington Post, the LA Times, CNN, BBC, The Atlantic, The Economist, The Wall Street Journal, and... The book we're going to be talking about today, of course, is the one that, that I've been chomping at the bit to talk with her about. This, this episode's been a long time in the making. It's called Time Smart, How to Reclaim Your Time and Live a Happier Life. Let's just get to the goods. Let's get to the conversation. Here is my discussion with Ashley Willins here on the Productivityist Podcast. Enjoy. I'd like to welcome Ashley Willins to the Productivityist Podcast. Ashley, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I almost threw an A in at the end there. Thanks for thanks for joining <laughs> me today. Eh? It's always I always make a point of uh, <laughs> of of bringing up the fact that I'm talking to a fellow Canadian when I have them on the pod, and there's been many on the podcast. In fact, I think later today uh, I normally do my interviews on my listening day, which is Tuesday, and later today I'm interviewing another Canadian. So there's there's plenty of them. But you're not in Canada; you're down in in Boston, right?
0: I am in Boston. I wish we were just talking about this. I wish I was home in Canada right now, but for. The indefinite future. I am holed up in Boston.
1: So you're... snowy,
0: snowy Boston. Yeah. Well, you know
1: what though? I mean, yeah, it's true. I mean, we can drive to the snow here. That's one of the things I don't miss about living on the east coast. Like, oh, you want snow? Just drive there, uh, and you'll find it eventually. But you know, where we live on the on in Victoria, it's like if you want to escape the rain, or if you want to see the sun, um, you may have to leave. You may, you have to go a lot further away to get the sun. So, um, your book is called Time Smart: How to Reclaim Your Time and Live a Happier Life. I want to talk right out of the gate about the term time smart and I know that that you know right out of the gate we before we we jumped on the recording I said let's not make this you know, mean, we talk about productivity on the podcast here all the time but when people are thinking about being time smart what do you want them to what do you want them to think about in terms of that because when people hear about time management, and personal productivity and tracking their time and all that like what goes into being time smart?
0: Yeah so when I think about what it means to be time smart, I'm thinking kind of more holistically I think I'm not just focused on productivity but also on how we can maximize the quality of our life our happiness I am a happiness researcher after all. So when I think about what it means to be time smart, I'm thinking about do the way we spend our days on an everyday basis add up to how we, want to live our lives. And if not, why not? And can we enact simple strategies around the margins to take control of our time and live a happier, more well-rounded life, whatever that means, whatever that looks like for us.
1: So during your research for the book, and you've been, you know, obviously looking into this for a while, um, one of the things that frustrates me is um, incessant time tracking. I'm I'm not against getting a sense of where your time is going. Are you Are you a big fan of like, let's really get into the nitty gritty in terms of tracking your time consistently, or is it more of an awareness building exercise to kick things off?
0: Definitely the way that I talk about it is time tracking as an awareness building exercise. So in my book and in my research, we use the day reconstruction method, which doesn't ask you to recount every single moment of your time and how you spend it and to carefully account for every second. But it asks you, what were the major activities you did in the morning? In the afternoon, in the evening, approximately how long did you spend on each of those major activities and how did those activities did make you feel? Did they make you stressed? Did they make you happy? Were they a source of meaning or misery? And so I really think about time tracking more exactly as, as you're identifying as this way of bringing awareness and attention to where time goes missing on an everyday basis or is ill-placed, not exactly in line with how we want to live our lives. and and really use it as an awareness building exercise. There's actually some great research suggesting that meticulously accounting for our time, especially when we're trying to engage in leisure activities, can undermine our enjoyment of it. Tracking how many calories we're burning when we're going for a run, thinking too carefully about how we're scheduling our leisure can make it feel more like work and suck the joy out of those, what is meant to be positive experiences.
1: Let's, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things. I'm a big believer in qualitative time tracking. You know, like the idea of having an awareness of it, but then it's it's the qualitative stuff because I think people can get caught up in things that they think are really, you know, productive, productive uses of their time. But at the end of the day, they look back and they go, where'd the day go? Like, where did that? Is that, that's some of the stuff that you've come across as well, right? And, and, and if so, like, how? what are some of the things people can do to combat that? that you've come across that might not be something that they think of right out of the gate.
0: Yeah, so I talk a little bit about in my book, and there's research on this, around the idea of rough scheduling. So it's more about thinking in terms of major events or categories of activities that you wanna do and broadly blocking in your calendar when you're going to do them. We ran a proactive time intervention with management consulting professionals, and we asked them to dedicate two two two-hour blocks during the week to engage in any activity that was important, but not necessarily urgent, and not use their technology during that time. So they weren't allowed to check email or pick up a phone call during those two-hour blocks. And they could spend that time doing whatever they wanted, could be personal or work-focused. And that kind of rough scheduling improved productivity by about 18% self-reported by our participants and significantly reduce burnout and stress. I think it's just about feeling a lot of the happiness benefits of time affluence are about feeling like you've control over your time. And so you want to be roughly putting blocks in your calendar. So you feel like you have enough time to accomplish important goals, but not so tightly scheduling everything into your agenda that you in the middle of doing one activity, all of a sudden your mind is pushed out of the present and into the next activity you could or should be doing.
1: So you spend a lot of time studying happiness, right? Like that's kind of the thing that you really, that, that's one of the things you really spend a lot of time doing, right? Is, is looking mm-hmm. at happiness. What led you down the path of time then? Like, is it just, there's an incremental, like there's a rather an integral link between the two? Like where, where did this come from? Because I've talked to, you know, happiness experts before, and they tend to lean more into the happiness element, but you seem to have taken a bit of a different approach.
0: So I uh, started working in a research lab at the University of British Columbia, uh, back to the west coast of Canada we go. And the lab that I was working in was looking at how the decisions we make about our financial resources or discretionary income shape happiness. And that got me interested in this question of, well, Money is a fundamental resource, and we already know from the work that was going on in in the lab I was working at at the time that we're not very good at allocating our discretionary income in ways that promote happiness, so we buy stuff instead of experiences. We don't give to charity as much as we could, even though giving $5 or $10 to charity can reliably predict mood benefits. And so this got me wondering whether we might also not be allocating our time, another critical resource in life, in a way that's likely to promote happiness and reduce stress. So that's really how I became interested in this topic. I also was doing a lot of research during my dissertation looking at trade-offs between time and money. So one way you can spend money to be happier is by spending money to have more time. So by investigating the trade-offs that we often make between these two valuable resources, I started to become really interested in the relationship between time and happiness. And I think it's worth noting that I, as a happiness researcher, have a very specific definition of happiness. A lot of different researchers, practitioners sort of define happiness in different ways. I'm really, when I'm talking about happiness, I'm talking about the experience of happiness and life satisfaction. So I'm talking about when we step back and think about our lives as a whole, how much life satisfaction do we feel? And then how much positive mood do we experience on an everyday basis versus negative mood? So how much joy do we experience on an everyday basis versus how much sadness? And that's really what I'm thinking about and what I study is, is the extent to which time influences both overall how we think we're doing in life and the, our emotional experiences on an everyday
1: basis. How important do you think it is? when someone's trying to become time smart to slow down to to get to get clear and i think the only way you can really do that is to slow down so that's why i bring up slowing down because i think it seems um it's one of the it's one of the things people have a hard time doing because they feel that time is constantly moving and they need to try to keep up with it and slowing down tends to be counterintuitive to that Uh, do you think that that's something that First off, do you think it's something people struggle with? And, and secondly, um, how can you help someone break that bias so that they realize that, hey, you know what, I need to get clear and slow down a bit so I can, you know, avoid uh, this idea of time poverty and build some time affluence?
0: Yeah, so I definitely think this is part of it. I'm going to unpack this question a a little bit. So I studied time poverty, which is this feeling of having too many things to do and not enough time in the day to do them. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our feelings around time and not having enough of it comes from this, again, this feeling of a lack of control of our schedules or feeling pulled in many directions that you can't get any one thing done. And it's interesting because we actually sort of dig ourselves into that trap. In part because we're, of our unwillingness to slow down, <laughs> so this is one trap that I talk about in the book called idleness aversion. As human beings, we're fundamentally averse to sitting around and doing nothing. In one college, in one study of college students, um, college students would rather be blasted with mild electric shocks, like to receive mild electric shocks, than to be left alone with only their thoughts. And this idleness aversion also extends to working adults. So even busy working parents with kids who say they feel more time stressed than anyone else who's surveyed, worry about taking any time off because they don't know what they would do with it. <laughs> and when we're feeling time stressed, we actually focus more on urgent, but not necessarily important tasks. And of course, if we leave ourselves with more time for important tasks, we'll feel more in control of our schedule, feel more time affluent. But when we kind of focus on always filling our schedules with something, because we're averse to idleness, because busyness is a status symbol in society, whatever it is, that's a driving focus. We actually are digging ourselves further and further into time poverty because we're continuously focusing more on small, urgent tasks that are easy to do in smaller amounts of time and not leaving ourselves with important tasks like spending a quality afternoon with our friends or family or working toward a ma- more major work project. And that creates this perpetual cycle where we become more time-stressed, more time-stressed and, and start focusing more on the urgent, less on the important. And so I do think that if we stop slow down and try to break our habit cycles around constantly filling all of our downtime with something quote unquote that feels productive, even if it's not maybe like getting to the bottom of your inbox, probably more productive things you could have done with that time um, that we might all feel more in control of our schedules.
1: And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the plan to eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. And now let's take a break from my conversation with Ashley to talk about this episode's sponsors. If you've been listening to the podcast for quite some time, you know how much of a fan I am of Text Expander, And with my team on board with me and us working in tandem, trying to deliver the products and services that only we can do here... I'm able to supercharge my team with the power of Text Expander, and you can do the same for yours. See, your team can do more with the same resources. Less repetition, fewer errors, and greater consistency will have your team feeling like they've hopped off of a bicycle and into a Ferrari. You can keep your team consistent, accurate, and current with Text Expander. You can share your text and images with the whole staff to keep them on track. Everyone will share the same message and give the same answers to all customer questions you'll be able to work smarter and faster both as an individual and as a team and you can use text expander's powerful shortcuts and abbreviations to streamline and speed up everything that you type i've created a number of powerful snippets to save me time you can do the same and that way all you type is a short abbreviation and then text expander does the rest of the typing for you you'll be able to keep your whole team communicating efficiently and with consistent languages. And one of the best things about Text Expander, especially when you work on it with your team, is you can share your snippets of messaging, signatures and descriptions with everyone who works on projects with you. Text Expander is available on a wide variety of platforms Mac, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, iPad, and listeners of the is Podcast with 20% off their first year. All you need to do is visit Textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more about Text Expander and get that 20% off discount. So visit Textexpander.com slash podcast to get 20% off your first year today. I'm a big fan of journaling. I think that chronicling your day and the activities that you went through during the day can really be cathartic. It can be super helpful. It can maybe unlock some of the things that are troubling you, some of the challenges that you have, those kind of things. They can, honestly, these entries can really help you with your productivity. But journaling on its own, chronicling your day isn't the only solution. In fact, you may need to boost things as I have. Um, If you find things are interfering with your happiness and that you're not able to bring your best self to more of your days than you'd like, then you may want to consider going beyond journaling, especially if something is preventing you from achieving your goals. That's where BetterHelp comes in. You see, BetterHelp will assess your needs and then match you with your own licensed professional therapist. Now, BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. And there are licensed professional counselors who are specialized in a variety of fields, including stress, anxiety, sleeping, self-esteem, anger, and much more. Anything you share with your professional counselor is confidential. BetterHelp is incredibly convenient and professional and affordable. And you can send a message to your counselor anytime so that convenience factor is really, really there. Uh, You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. And, And here's the other thing, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions as well. So it doesn't just have to be done via text. You can actually see your counselor and you can do this all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is also committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches. So they make it easy and free to change counselors if the need arises. And BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. You can find the particular expertise you need online and you don't need to limit yourself to the counselors located near you. That's a big thing that can't be understated. The fact that you may not have access to the kind of help you need in the location that you're based is a huge thing to consider. And it's why I really recommend BetterHelp. In fact, so many people are using BetterHelp that they have recruited additional counselors and are recruiting additional counselors as well in all 50 states now I want you to start living a happier life today as a listener of the productivity podcast you'll get 10% off your first month all you need to do is visit our sponsor at betterhelp.com slash timecrafting again that's betterhelp h-e-l-p dot timecrafting join over 1 million people who've taken charge of their mental health today visit betterhelp.com slash timecrafting and now, let's get back to the conversation. Now, one of the things that I've tried to do in in this calendar year is, uh, and I I posted it on Instagram actually. I didn't really say what I was doing, but um, <laughs> I bought a Blue Jays cap, Toronto Blue Jays cap, and I said, you know, this is something that I want to wear with my Blue Jays jersey when I watch baseball games. And and believe me, if I do not watch all 162 Blue Jay games because that would definitely put me at a deficit in terms of the things I want to accomplish. But (laughs) I I bring this up because um, the reason I put that up there is I've actually, instead of buying things, I've started to keep a list of the things that I would like to receive as gifts at birthdays and anniversaries and stuff like that because I realize that if I spend money on things that I don't really, I mean, I get into this habit of spending money that I don't really have or um, that I may have, but then I have to try to earn more to replace it. Then all of a sudden I'm going to have to invest my time and attention and energy and things to kind of rebuild those coffers. Now I bring this up because um, I'm talking about dollars, dollars here, but you have what are called happiness dollars. And, And as I was reading about them, I'm like, you know what? what i've done is a time related choice related to dollars dollars but what are what are happiness dollars in terms of and how do they relate to to what people why people would make choices as to be more time smart
0: yeah so you're you're kind of like almost reminding yourself of the opportunity costs of some of these more hedonic purchases that um so that you know if you go and buy A material purchase or uh, like a nice fancy sweater that maybe your partner could buy you at Christmas that's obviously not leaving you with money that you could spend in other ways. Mm -hmm. And so what you almost are engineering in your own life is something that economists would talk about as an opportunity cost reminder. So you're sort of reminding yourself that some of the things you are things that you want, but they're not necessarily things you need. And if you buy them, they'll come at a cost, maybe both to your pocketbook, but also for your partner to miss out on the opportunity to surprise you with something pleasurable and nice that you probably wouldn't buy for yourself. Now, along the similar line or similar logic, I created for the book a metric to help people understand the opportunity costs of making financially first decisions in terms of their happiness. So I wanted to put happiness into a metric that my students care about and understand. So of course, I had to convert happiness to money (laughs) so that my MBAs and the executives I teach actually believe me that happiness is worth something. So what I did is I created a metric called happiness dollars. And this is the income equivalent of the happiness you'd gain if you made a time-related choice. So I'll walk this through with a couple of examples. Um, One example that I talk a lot about in the book related to an activity that we can all do to help ourselves feel more in control of our schedule is something I already mentioned in the course of this conversation, give up money to have more free time, such as by outsourcing our tasks to others, like ordering takeout, having someone help around the chores around the house, like mow your lawn, clean out the gutters, clean your house, and so on. And so this is known as funding time. This is one of the strategies I talk a lot about. And the happiness dollars, so the happiness you'd gain from giving up some of your earned income to save yourself time, is worth the happiness equivalent of making about $16,000 more of household income per year. And yes, that includes the cost of the service. (laughs) Another example is simply shifting your mindset to focus more on prioritizing making more money to focus to being focused on having more time produces the happiness equivalent of making about $4,000 more of household income per year. And so what you can see is there's a lot of ways to getting to happiness that don't involve stressing yourself out by working more hours. And there's a lot of our decisions in our everyday life that might actually be costing us happiness. So if we don't outsource, we're actually losing out on the opportunity to have the happiness equivalent of, I think I said, let's see if I can, well, if we, okay, let's just uh, use this example. If um, we don't focus on time and instead continue to focus on money, we're losing out on the happiness equivalent of, you know, Making $4,000 more in terms of happiness each year. So, a lot of the decisions, if we forego the opportunity to make time first choices, we don't outsource, we don't spend enough time socializing, we're always putting work first. We're actually leaving a lot of happiness on the table, which is worth a lot of money to us when we calculate the income equivalent.
1: You know, and that's one of the things I think that a lot of people struggle with is delegation's a big one. I struggle with it still. I mean, and I'm a productivity guy and I know I should be outsourcing things to, you know, kind of get free up but when you look at it from that vantage point because you're right the equation to to money it's just something that we can grasp uh a lot easier it's it's something you can hold on to i guess is that part of it like the fact that it's tangible goods that you can like oh i have you know a hundred dollars in my hand whereas like you have an hour in your hand it's it's kind of amorphous
0: yeah, exactly. So there's some really great research suggesting one of the reasons that we don't value our time, especially time in the future correctly, is because we don't value it. It's hard. Time, free time is abstract. We're not exactly sure what that two hours, two weeks from now is going to do for us. When we're in the moment and having a really busy, stressful day, it's very easy for us to realize that having a couple more free hours would be really helpful. But a lot of times we're making outsourcing decisions for next week or next month, and those don't really seem worth it. And we can feel the financial costs viscerally. And then the time payoff doesn't feel so sweet in the moment at the time that we're making that purchase. So this has been one of the identified barriers for why we often fail to put time first. It's just much harder to see the concrete value. In one experiment I ran, I simply reminded people that by choosing a house cleaning service, they could spend literally two hours on the weekend doing whatever they wanted and even this simple reminder of just presenting the house cleaning service do you want a house cleaning service versus a cash prize in a lottery versus do you want the house cleaning service and hey of course this is going to mean you have two hours to do whatever you want on the weekend People are like, oh, yeah, that would be kind of nice. <laughs> They're more likely to choose a house cleaning voucher versus the cash prize in a lottery if you just remind people of the other things they could or should be doing. But in general, when we think about time, it's not as concrete as when we think about money.
1: So if someone wants to adopt this mentality, because, I mean, there's a lot of um, you know thoughtful, deliberate, intentional, like, again, soft kind of stuff, right? But you've, what you've done is integrated with some harder edged stuff plus research never hurts. (laughs) Like when it comes to stuff to be able to say like this, you know, I didn't just, this is not just stuff I've thought about or grabbed out of nowhere. This is, we've done the, the, the research on this. Um, In your experience, how long does it take for this kind of mentality or this kind of um, approach to take hold with someone so that all of a sudden it's not just something that they're really challenged by, but it just becomes a way of operating?
0: Yeah. So it's really interesting. I mean, we don't have that kind of We haven't done that research to create this through line between people's everyday experiences and their shift in values. But I can tell you what I I see in the data. Simply shifting a a discretionary income purchase so you're spending $40 more outsourcing um, in a typical month can have sizable benefits for mood on that day. So the day that you enjoy the house cleaning service or the takeout as long as you spend that free time in a satisfying way, that produces mood benefits on the spot. Now, and we have another longitudinal field experiment in Kenya showing that that this can be true, so removing time burdens can have positive effects even among working women who are financially constrained and that these benefits persist over the course of a 3-week longitudinal experiment with high stakes, where people are getting bought out of chores that take them 10 to 20 hours a week. Now, in terms of those small decisions translating into more major life ones, in another data set of 2,000 college students that we tracked for a couple of years, we saw that the degree that people chose in college fundamentally altered their overall values in life, whether they're more prioritizing time or money. And that over about the course of one to two years, about 20% of our sample after graduation significantly shifted their values as well. And that it's important to try to cultivate a time first life because the college students that we tracked, regardless of what they valued or how happy they were before they graduated, if they, became someone who focused on time or did end up uh, valuing time or kind of always consistently valued time rather. Two to three years later, they showed significant increases in happiness since college graduation that were explained by their job choices. So Students who were more focused on time made more intrinsically motivated choices. So they chose jobs because they wanted to do those jobs versus felt like they had to. And that significantly improved their happiness two to three years later. So we can see that changing our values can happen. In my data, it probably takes a year or, or two to really fundamentally shift your mindset around time and money and which value you're putting first, but that there's changes we can all make on an everyday basis, regardless of what we value that can help us take more control over our time and feel happier as a result.
1: Ashley, before I let you go, I try to end every episode with a simple action that someone can take, starting right after they're done listening, that can help them move forward with what we've talked about. So if, other than pick up the book, which we're gonna to link to in the show notes, and you're gonna talk about as we wrap up, what's one simple action that somebody can take right after they're done listening this to this episode that they can take? That will uh, help them become more time smart.
0: This is something that I have been recently advocating for, which is engage in the 30-30 rule. So spend 30 minutes tomorrow on an activity that's not going to pay off for you in your life for 30 days or more. So maybe that looks like updating your resume or starting a new education program or Committing yourself to volunteering in the community, spend 30 minutes outside of your comfort zone doing something that involves long-term as opposed to short-term planning.
1: Ashley, this has been a a great conversation. There's lots more we can talk about, I'm sure. But I mean, just the, again, quant, what I love about this is that there's a qualitative and a quantitative element to it. And the meshing of that when it comes to time management productivity is, is challenging to come by. And you've done it in such a succinct way, something that's really accessible, which I think is really, really powerful. And it's, you know, I, I applaud you for that because it's it's hard to do that, but you've put in the work and it shows in the book. So um, where can people learn more about you and where can people pick up the book?
0: Oh, yeah, you can pick up the book anywhere where books are sold, Amazon Works or through my publisher, Harvard Business Publishing. I'm on LinkedIn, on Instagram. And... I look forward to connecting with people there, even though we're all not supposed to spend too much time on social media. <laughs> Sometimes it's a, a positive use of of uh, leisure time. Be, so. <laughs>
1: be intentional about it, right Be into, I mean when, yeah, I, when exactly. I talked to Cal Newport about it in digital minimalism, he says if you go in with a mandate and a mission and you're deliberate about it, then you're more likely not to get sucked in. So you know and
0: I mean, this this relates to my happiness research too. So active leisure, leisure enacted with uh, an intention or purpose. Yields a lot more happiness than passive leisure, where the leisure activity is happening to you, but you're not necessarily involved with it, like couch,
1: uh, relaxing on the couch
0: uh, with Netflix.
1: Yeah, like the new Netflix feature, which is, and I can't believe this exists, is play something. It's not even like, so it used to be go uh, have your list, which is, this is interesting. We'll we'll finish with this. This is kind of an interesting piece. Um, The Netflix used to say, here, build your list, right? But then they would also, now they have like the categories and you can look around and see what's new, what's hot. So your list becomes an afterthought. The things you said, hey, I want to look at these at some point, now becomes secondary. Well, now they've got a new feature as of this recording called Play Something. So you could literally go onto Netflix, hit the Play Something button, and it will just play something for you. Isn't that insane? Yeah, definitely not good for happiness or productivity. (laughs) (laughs) Avoid at all costs. It's it's, it's literally spiraling in the opposite direction of which way we want to go. Uh, I just find it fascinating. Ashley, thanks again. It's good
0: for their business, though.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, as as they do. Uh, Ashley, thanks again so much for taking the time today to join me on the Productivity is Podcast.
0: Of course. Thanks for having me.
1: And there you have it. You know, I mean, I really think you need to pick up this book, Time Smart, How to Reclaim Your Time and Live a Happier Life. There's lots of great stuff in here. And Ashley was a delight to talk to. I can't wait to have her on the program again. And if I do, you don't want to miss it. So that's why you should subscribe to this podcast while you are currently listening to it in the podcast app of your choice, whether it's Spotify, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you are listening to this podcast hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss a single episode that's to come. But also, you can easily search through the archives of the over 300 episodes. We're getting close to 400 at this point that have a wide variety of guests, from Gretchen Rubin to Nir Ayal to uh, Chris Bailey, another fellow Canadian, to, um, you know, the, the list goes on and on. I mean, I've had... a a veritable who's who of guests on this program and you don't want to miss the ones that are to come either so again hit that subscribe button subscribe to the podcast today that way you don't miss a single episode plus you can find all of the gold that's to be mined in the archives far easier than if you were to just search for them on your own that's it for this episode thanks so much for taking the time to listen to me today and for joining me in this conversation with ashley until next time i'm the host of the productivities podcast mike vardy And until we talk to each other again, remember to stop guessing and start going. See you later.